Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and in this episode, I'm going to break down neuroplasticity and discuss the role it plays in our trauma healing journey. This will be an episode to share with someone else. Now, the one question that I'll be answering for you in this episode is how do you use neuroplasticity to help you on the trauma healing journey? Because my friend, we live in a world that currently glorifies neuroscience and neuroplasticity. And yet we need to understand its role in trauma because it, neuroplasticity, has been what has been holding us back. It has been what keeps us stuck in our trauma patterns. And so we actually have to learn how to use neuroplasticity in a way that will help us and serve us on this trauma healing journey. So in this episode, you are going to learn why knowing how long or chronic a pattern has been is essential Two, how to understand time and neuroplasticity. Three, why both gentleness and firmness are needed in addressing stored trauma in the body. And four, how to shift from negative to positive neuroplasticity. How does all of this relate to you? Well, I'm actually opening this episode with a brief share from Susan who by now has gone through my mentor training program even, and is a mentor for the foundational journey, which consists of the somatic work of the 21 day journey and the parts work of all parts of me. Then Marissa, a naturopathic physician and Gingy, a bioenergetic practitioner will share how they use the information from this episode in working with patients or clients. I'll then teach you all about neuroplasticity, break it down for you. And then include some additional shares from the advanced level professionals in the biology of trauma certificate training program. So you know how this applies to you with that. Let's jump in and talk all things neuroplasticity. I was still stuck in this pattern. I couldn't break through at any moment, at any time, a trigger would appear and I would plummet into the depths of despair uncontrollably anxious, in pain, frozen, fearful, acting out like my life depended on it. I completely was in another place and I knew I needed help. Right. It's very interesting. And I think it helps to explain quite a lot and also really help to explain how to work with a system that has years of these chronic patterns of, of adaptation. Whatever it's been adapting to, it's been a, a, a negative neuroplastic adaptation that we have to first undo. And then we have to build over time as well, build, build over time, the positive changes and patterns that we want to see in the nervous system and create that positive neuroplasticity. So it's, it's definitely something 
that will take time. And, and now understanding neuroplasticity, it gives us a way to explain that to our clients. Cause I know I've always explained the longer you have a particular condition, most of the time, the longer it will take to, to recover and heal from it. But now understanding this concept of neuroplasticity and how you have to work with the nervous system, it, it helps me to explain that concept a little bit better to my clients so that they can come on board and really understand and, and work with their system gently and not push it, right? Because then especially if they're in freeze and they push themselves, you're just going right back into overwhelm and you're just reinforcing that negative neuroplastic pattern that was there, which is not what we want to do. So um, a gentle, but very regular, consistent daily work so that we are applying a good amount of gentle, but guidance in the right direction to compensate for the ingrained patterns that are currently there. For clients that I like, I've taken on who find it really hard to shift when they're really stuck. What I'm finding is that they're the parts that are helping them to continue day-to-day activities and to survive are much stronger than the parts that want to heal. And I think that's where the balance is that, that 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 pushing forward of wanting to heal is there, but then the pushing forward of coping, those mechanisms are so much stronger. And that's what we're working with is really trying to turn that ship around in terms of the coping mechanisms and the patterns that they're in that helps them to get through their days and get through their lives. And so even when they make a little bit of a shift in terms of healing, the ones that want to keep forward come in and actually bulldoze whatever healing that they've actually been able to progress through. And then they take a shift backwards and then we're starting all over again. And so this thing of, you know, moving forwards, moving backwards, moving forwards, moving backwards is always there. And so really being there to support them through that but also to to kind of really uh, get them to quieten the, the parts of themselves that are there day to day, pushing them forwards is, is the challenge. And that's where I've had to really work with. And when I'm able to work with that, then the aha moments of the uh, what they need to do to support themselves actually then have a louder voice and then that comes through much much more clearer for them so that's been a huge um, insight in in helping my my client when we're looking at stored trauma in the body and the role of neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is a time game And the longer that a person has been stuck, the longer that they've been having certain symptoms, then the more their nervous system has adapted to that being their new normal. This can work against us because neuroplasticity is always happening and it just depends on well in which direction. Has it been in the positive direction? Has it been towards health? Has it been towards expansion, growing, changing, adapting in a good way? or? have the symptoms that a person's been experiencing kept them stuck and they have adapted to being stuck and their nervous system has adapted and has made that their default. 
And so neuroplasticity is a time game. And when I'm looking at someone's assessment, for example, through the lens of biology of trauma, one of the things I'm looking for is the chronicity of symptoms, meaning how chronic are these symptoms? Because the longer that a person has had specific symptoms, the more that I know that their nervous system has adapted to that. And the longer that the nervous system has been doing that, has been adapting to that as their new normal, it will require more energy on my part to overcome their neuroplastic changes. So it gives me an idea of just what am I going against, right? Give, give me the big picture. Help me understand what I'm looking at, what I'm working with. I'm, for me, that's what it is, right? Like I'm working with a nervous system. And just going back to my years in surgery, I want to feel it, right? I want to feel the tissues. What am I working with here so that I know how to shift things in the direction that I want it to go? If I'm working with a nerve that's stuck in all of this hardened, inflamed tissue, well, that's very different. That's a very different process in how I'm going to do this surgery than if it's in healthy tissue. And it's easy for me to just separate the nerve from the surrounding tissue and not damage that tissue and just separate the nerve also so that I don't damage the nerve in whatever surgery I'm doing so that I need to understand before I actually start working with a nervous system, what am I working with? And the chronicity helps me know what I'm working with. Am I working with a nervous system that is so ingrained and this is our way of doing things. This is our way of life. This is our default pattern that it's going to be very hard and it's going to take a lot of energy and gentleness. It's, it's almost like, um, I want to, I want to liken it to, uh, <laughs> what comes to mind, honestly, is tough love that combination where I am both strong and soft all at the same time. I am both tender and tough all at the same time, because I can't, if I come into working with a system and it's maybe encased in all of this hardened and flamed tissue, and I am only love, I'm only soft. I'm not going to be able to separate the nerve from that tissue. And I'm not going to be able to actually change anything. I have to be, have to exert a certain level of, um, I want to say like, it's, it's, it's a focused energy. It's, it's a, it's a firmness. Like, no, I am coming in here and I am separating this nerve from this tissue so that I can work with it and change it and shift things. And without that firmness, I'm not going to be able to accomplish that. But I also can't hurt it and damage it and break it in the process, right? Just like the tree that I talk about on the 21 day journey, <laughs> our nervous system is like a tree that over the years has been bent over. Well, that's neuroplasticity over the years has been bent over. That is neuroplasticity. I would liken that to negative neuroplasticity because, ah, like I, I don't want to be bent over. I don't want to be living my life handicapped. I don't want to be living my life uh, feeling like I'm I'm slowed down, like I'm limping. I want to be able to run. 
But in order to run, I need to be growing in the way that I'm supposed to be growing, which as a tree is up towards the sky. But how do I do that? If I come in and I am only soft, I might be the person who just sits by the tree and is very compassionate, very empathic, and have no ability to change it because I'm not bringing in the firmness that is also required to say, no, we are, we are, we are going to grow in a new direction. I'm going to be coming every day. I'm going to be putting in these prompts so that you're, you're forced, but it's a gentle forcing. It's not a, it's not a forceful forcing. It's a gentle, it's a gentle supportive way to redirect the nervous system. That's what we need to be able to do with neuroplasticity. But how far bent over is this tree? How long has it been bent over in this direction? The longer that it's been bent over, the more, well, both, I would say the the more firmness and gentleness it needs in order to redirect it and not break it in the process. And so when I look at the biology of trauma lens, that is what I'm also looking for. In addition to everything else, I'm looking for what pattern am I seeing in the nervous system, but how long has that pattern been there? Because neuroplasticity is a time game, I need to know how long has this trauma pattern been there? How long have you been experiencing this depression? How long have you been experiencing this anxiety? I want to know the chronicity of the symptoms. How long have you been experiencing the brain fog, the shutdown, the gut inflammation? Because all of that I know is going to be affecting the nervous system and thus neuroplasticity. And how long has that been happening? So that then when I move into the underlying reasons for those trauma patterns, I'm now looking for what are those things that are going to be influencing my ability to shift towards positive neuroplasticity. What are those things that I'm going to need to address to shift it towards positive neuroplasticity, given that I'm currently working with negative neuroplasticity? And so I go through my reasons. I go through the contributing factors so that then I know which repair tools to apply, knowing that neuroplasticity is not the first thing that I'm working with when I'm working with a a nervous system with stored trauma. The first thing that I'm working with is that regulation. But with that regulation, my goal is to help them achieve a, a period of time long enough in regulation that they start experiencing positive neuroplasticity. And so the regulation is what feeds the neuroplasticity. And I need to identify the contributing factors that are contributing to the dysregulation and have been keeping that system in negative neuroplasticity. So when I'm looking through someone's assessment and their their story, I'm looking for chronicity to know exactly how, how long how much time and regulation do I think that we're going to need to experience before I start to see shifts and have they been doing things already that should be promoting positive neuroplasticity, but I'm not seeing any changes yet because there might be some other issues that are keeping the system 
in a state of dysregulation. And so that's why when I look at someone who has started the 21 day journey, when I look at someone who has started somatic work and parts work and laying this foundation of regulation, I'm looking at how long do you stay in calm aliveness when you do your daily somatic practice or including the daily somatic parts practice, because depending on the level of negative neuroplasticity that they have, the shorter amount of time that they're going to be staying in calm aliveness. And so I'm looking for not only how long have you had these symptoms, but as you have been applying these tools, what has happened? And negative neuroplasticity is one of those things that will keep the nervous system stuck in dysregulation. And we get to go figure out what are those things that are keeping it stuck in the negative neuroplasticity. So as I, as I look at, as I look at uh, Himari's assessment form and their story, 69 year old female, she has taken 21 day journey. She has taken all parts of me. So she has those skills. She has the somatic work. She has the parts work. So what's happening? And uh, she's also taken the biology of attachment module. And what she's describing is um, a lot of work over the years. She's done energy kinesiology for the past 20 years. She's done the sound protocol, the safe and sound protocol of Stephen Porges. She's done Feldenkrais work. So a lot of body work, somatic work, and yet her sensitivity has increased. And so when I look at that pattern, I'm seeing a nervous system still stuck in negative neuroplasticity. Her, her hypersensitivity is keeping her isolated because it shows up, especially around a lot of people. And she's having difficulty with memory, difficulty retaining information. And she's finding herself in freeze a lot, finding herself bracing. And I'm seeing a system that is being pulled back into these old patterns that have been there for a really long time. When we look at how long has the depression been there? She says that the depression has been there off and on through school and pregnancy, decades. We are talking about decades of this being her internal environment and the neuroplasticity is going to be very strong then. So I'm already, I'm already seeing this nervous system very much stuck in its patterns. This is going to be a tough, tougher nervous system to work with. This is not going to be a, just a quick and easy surgery. No, like this is going to take a lot more firmness and gentleness and consistency. So just with that, I feel like I have a good picture of the neuroplastic effect that I'll be working with as I work with her nervous system. And as I look at those things that will keep a person stuck, brain inflammation and brain chemicals are some of the, the top ones that come to mind. There are many others, but when we're looking at what can be some of the primary contributing figure, uh, factors to negative neuroplasticity, that's what I'm looking at. Brain inflammation. Brain inflammation is probably the number one thing that will keep our system stuck and it will be repeating the same patterns, even though we're doing all of this work. 
So let's look at her brain inflammation symptoms and see, does that seem to be playing a role here? And we are looking at her saying that she has had three different uh, types of timing events that she knows about. She describes them as intense psychological or emotional stress. And that has likely not just been once in her life. This has likely been many times. She describes leaky gut or the intestinal permeability that will cause brain inflammation and gluten sensitivity, which is a high, high risk factor and reason for brain inflammation and not just brain inflammation, but actual autoimmunities for brain tissue. We know that from the studies that they've done on the wheat, um, the wheat in the gut where the gliadin and the antibodies that form to gliadin are very common to be seen in auto antibodies to the cerebellum, for example. So as we look at, as we look at some of her patterns, her chronic patterns, I'm not surprised that she put those in her assessment, given the ones that she marked here. Now, many people can have had other priming events that they're just not aware of. And depending on how long she's had intestinal permeability or the leaky gut, the gluten sensitivity without knowing it, right? Again, we're talking about time. How much time was her brain under attack and thus will be uh, even more sensitive to stress and shutting down? And those are her patterns, right? Her patterns are sensitivity and the freeze response, getting overwhelmed and shutting down. The brain inflammation may be contributing to that and then contributing to, of course, negative neuroplasticity that's staying stuck. We're not even able to, to shift towards positive neuroplasticity because of so much brain inflammation. But let's look at the actual symptoms for her so that we can see how active is this brain inflammation. And just as I scan down on her assessment form, most of them are marked. So I already know my answer. Yes, brain inflammation is a active contributing factor for her, for keeping her nervous system stuck in negative neuroplasticity and those patterns of going into freeze and overwhelm. The specific symptoms that I'm seeing, brain fog, light sensitivity, low tolerance for stress, decision fatigue, her brain feels like it shuts down, just the lights go off, finds herself searching for words when she's talking, forgetfulness, poor sense of balance. Oh, that makes me think of the cerebellum and wondering if that she does have those antibodies. Not that it changes what we're going to do because obviously we just need to address the brain inflammation. But uh, that would indicate for me, again, the degree of, I want to say the degree of stuckness that her nervous system is going to be experiencing that I'm going to need to know about as I start to work with her nervous system delayed reaction time, mentally not as sharp, headaches, coordination issues. Hmm, there's the cerebellum again. And then she did not mark depression here, but she marked anxiety and that she does get relief with doing the eye support somatic exercise from the 21 day journey. So looking at this brain inflammation is going to be one of the top priorities for me as I'm looking at supporting her nervous system with both firmness and softness as we're shifting it towards a state, having an environment in which it could have positive neuroplasticity. And in the meantime, it will also help with the regulation 
because as long as we're having active brain inflammation, our system will not be able to be regulated. It will continue to go into dysregulation, which will prevent the positive neuroplasticity. So regulation is always going to be correlated with uh, the, the neuroplasticity. And so I'm looking at what are those blocks to consistent regulation? It's not just a momentary regulation. Can she arrive in, in a place of calm aliveness? Probably. But how long does she stay there? I'm looking for consistency in the regulation. That's going to be what sh uh, shifts and sets her up for success for positive neuroplasticity. Finally, let's look at her brain chemicals and see what's happening there. Is that helping us or is that hurting us? Let's find out. And as I look at this assessment form, this is first looking at dopamine and just scanning down first is kind of always what I do. I just scan down first, big picture. And I see a few ones that are above five, but not as many. I would actually expect a little more. And I'm always holding space for more because I realize that as people have brain inflammation or they're still working on even being connected with their body, sometimes their level of awareness is going to affect their ability to fill out these assessment forms truly accurately. And so this is something that I even just use to track over time. And I have them print this out, put the on their refrigerator. And once a week, I'm having them fill this out just to see changes as they become more aware of their body, first of all, and as we start to implement some of the support for the different contributing factors. So she reports some low motivation, some difficulty in finishing goals and tasks. And yet with her degree of brain inflammation, I'm surprised that she marked those as two. I would have expected her to mark those as higher given the amount of brain inflammation that she's having. Uh, she marked a six for how isolated she feels. Friendships and community feel that they lack meaning. Finding joy, purpose, and meaning is she has those at four. She did mark it as a seven for how irritable she is when she is stressed. And we saw that over in the brain inflammation when she marked a low tolerance for stress. So here's where that's showing up as well. She can use caffeine, exercise, and food for quick motivation in the, in the moment. And I would suspect that that changes based on where her system is at in the freeze and overwhelm. Probably uses it more if she's fighting the freeze. And so... <laughs> Yeah, dopamine, dopamine is there, uh, but let's look at the endorphins and just again, scanning down. Ooh, we've got an eight. Uh, the mo the majority of them are, well, so yeah, I would say, I would say the majority of them are around five or six. If I had to take an average of everything, she does have some low numbers here, but let's look at the high numbers rating her emotional sensitivity at an eight. Her sensitivity to physical pain at a six, general aches and pains at a four, sugar cravings at a five, craving comfort or numbing from life's uh, from from life's stress mm, at a five. Uh, eight would be how much her stomach is in knots, difficulty turning off her mind at a six, falling asleep with the TV on at a seven high inner tension, her mind darting from one thing to the next, otherwise known as, uh, I believe people would describe that as ADHD. Uh, she's rating that as a six. And I would expect that given the degree of brain inflammation, mm -hmm. new sudden worries, troubling thoughts at a six. 
So endorphins, she's struggling with endorphins and that could definitely be a support that we could give her that would help, uh, uh, help achieve longer duration of regulation since that's what we're going for when we look at neuroplasticity, longer durations of regulation. Serotonin, and again, I'm just going to glance down, first of all, a little lower than the endorphins, I would say. Uh, So I would just kind of guess that our average is going to be closer around four for the serotonin, uh, rating the highest as seven with how poor she sleeps. She did mention the headaches. Uh, the depression she marked currently at four and otherwise she has anxiety at five, isolating at a five and everything else below a five. So, so far the endorphins are the highest uh, neurotransmitters that are off. I would also be very interested to see GABA. Uh, here's our GABA, how stiff and tense are her muscles uh, three, what she did. Oh, she did report the eight, uh, with her stomach and knots, this being the GABA. So brain inflammation usually creates the imbalance between glutamate and GABA decreasing GABA. So that's what would show up on this assessment form and increasing the glutamate, which will increase anxiety. So I'm not surprised that she's rating a lot of anxiety these days. And so with that, as we look at big picture, coming back to big picture, the first place that we always start with someone is finding their pattern of their nervous system. Are they up in sympathetic all the time? Are they down in dorsal all the time? Are they going back and forth between the two? It seems that for her, she's going back and forth between the two. And being able to look at the chronicity, how long has this been the pattern? because how long depends on how deeply embedded this is into her nervous system. How how much has her neuroplasticity adapted to this being her normal? Because the longer that it has been there, the more that, that, that nervous system has adapted, the more that neuroplastic effect will be working against us. And it's going to take more firmness and gentleness in order to shift it in a direction towards positive neuroplasticity. But we still start them with creating moments of calm aliveness, moments of landing in parasympathetic, knowing that with her nervous system, we know that she's not going to be there for long. It may even be seconds at first. That's fine. That's where we have to start. That's where we have to start. So encourage them that even moments in calm aliveness for her is success. This is huge. This is wonderful that your system is actually able to land in calm aliveness for even a second. This is great news. You're doing great. Keep up the good work. And what we want to do over time is bring in more moments of calm aliveness because the more moments of calm aliveness that we can bring in, it will help untangle your nervous system and all of its negative neuroplasticity so that we can redirect it in a positive way, create the positive neuroplasticity, but letting them know that this is going to take time. How many years has your nervous system been doing it this way? 
And so to have the expectation that we can come in and just change it overnight, do one thing and it just magically goes away. That's, that's not, that's not realistic. That's not how the body works. If we're expecting something to happen that quickly, we're breaking the system or we're just fooling ourselves, but there's no way that we can create that degree of change given neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity informs us that this is going to take time and this is the process to get there. We have to start with micro moments of safety, micro moments of parasympathetic. And then we build it over time. And as we build it, we discover more and more contributing factors. We've already discovered a major contributing factor here. The brain inflammation in my mind is one of the biggest contributing factors right now to her inability to stay in calm aliveness. And so as I am holding the vision for what I want for her in the future to be able to live in calm aliveness, live with a flexible nervous system, meaning sometimes it needs to go into sympathetic, then I know that I've got to slowly identify and take away all these contributing factors so that she can be spending more and more time in regulation because that is what will then create the positive neuroplasticity over time. Now, did you see yourself in this case? Could you identify with some of her symptoms? Or maybe you're wondering if and how this applies to you. Let's listen to Kathy, Gingy, Margaret, and Nancy, who are all in the advanced level of biology of trauma professional training with me and hear their insights for how they have applied this information about neuroplasticity and the insights that it has given them not only about their clients and patients, but about themselves as well. To introduce neuroplasticity, it requires stepping into newness, which requires energy expenditure. And so there is neuro-linguistic programming that uh, one of them entitled anchoring, whereas you suggest to the brain a very intense alternative that is that calm aliveness and you anchor into the calm aliveness. And that's where Dr. Amy was saying you introduce increments that keep you in calm aliveness longer and longer and longer such that we can convince our brain, which is in resistance to change, which is a natural progression when it comes to change. If we anchor into calm aliveness with a strong image that has a, a strength to it. Uh, it is a strong visual comp uh, component and in, a strong intention. It it uh, there is um, something that you can attach to emotionally uh, in, in your mind uh, to calm aliveness and and incorporate in your body a breathing technique that introduces that anchoring element. And it can even be physically or kinetic where you just simply uh, grab your thumb or grab an acupuncture uh, point where you are reminding yourself is this is the state what 
of calm aliveness of which I want to uh, cultivate and nurture and uh, bring about as my as my new way of being, my new pattern, and thereby in practicing that, introducing that neuroplasticity that over time, and as you know, that 21 day practice uh, can can create um, a new way of stepping into uh, that new anchor, that new way of 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 being, of feeling, and of doing. I don't think it really is self sabotage because we've we've put a negative connotation to that by saying it's sabotage, but actually it's two two parts that are um, kind of trying to find a balance that both want to move forward, but um, I suppose it's really like saying, hey, give me this time now, and then the other one saying, oh, this is my chance now, and to really like that, to, for, for them to find that balance and that comfort in saying there are two dominant parts of me, one wants to heal and one wants to just keep going because that's that's what I need to do to survive and to say both are able to exist at the same time but to allow say one person one part to have 90% of the energy and then we step back and then now you have time so then that allows that's how I've kind of been able to explain it to my clients to say it's not sabotage because then there's so much other the, the possibility of other parts coming in the shame the guilt the critic all of them come in and crowd that that part because there is such a negative um, connotation to that. Whereas if we are able to say, oh, it's not sabotage, but it's just two parts that are just really trying to come out and let's work with both of them, but giving both of them that ability to kind of express themselves, but finding the right time to be able to do that for each part. So I think that that is a pretty simple way to look at it is the fact that we just keep getting pulled back in to the old way of doing, the old way of being, because that is the automatic. That is the thing that requires the less effort. It requires the less conscious decision. It requires it requires nothing or very limited anything from us mm-hmm. because it's just habitual. It's the automatic. So the, you know, being not being pulled back into those old patterns is big it requires mm. energy it requires planning it requires effort so mm, i think that that's a pretty simple sentence to base our patterns our where we're at even to stop takes energy because you're trying to put on brakes so uh, I'm the opposite of you Jeanette I had to learn to stop and that was just killing me to learn to stop (laughs) and and so um, and then once you stop you realize oh my goodness like this is the these are the things that your body has done to compensate for the stop that uh, for the fact that you have kept going it's pulled into all sorts of places and pulled resources out of all sorts of places that you did not know it was pulling resources from and then having all of these places of depletion that have taken place and having to then re- 
you know, address that. So it's not a case of even just being in the freeze and needing to support that. You then, if you've kept going and been in more of a sympathetic dominant pattern, then you have a whole lot of depletions to address just as much as you have, um, you know, um, you have to address depletions when you're in the freeze state as well. So whatever dysfunctional state you've been in, you will have those gaps to fill in biochemically regardless, I think. And one thing I also really appreciate, like this module I feel like for me is like a, I, I'm a big picture person. I like to know I'm doing this, but why? I like to know like, a, you know, 10,000 feet high. And I feel like this module kind of bring everything together. Like I said, oh, that's why we've been working on the brain information. That's why we've been working on energy. And so I, so that, that gave me this, this, uh, view and which that's that's you know that just speak to me personally um yeah. and so we can set this grand vision the neuroplasticity so you can stay there but i also love how we just have practical let me just let's just work on your brain inflammation as the first step um and and mm-hmm. and not to get uh Sometimes you feel like the the grand vision is too big and and feel unattainable, and so I love I love the approach. But then just go break down into um, very practical, very doable, small step, and then build, and then give give the client that education and awareness. They say, yes, you see, that is where we want to go, and but but here we're making the step toward the right direction. So even though it's taking time, you will experience some progress, but you're not there yet, but that's okay because we're making the right step. And I I feel like that's also how people not feel overwhelmed. That was Nancy Chang that you were just listening to. And she is referring to the specific biology of trauma module called the biology of healing, where I talk about moving into aliveness as the trauma healing journey. That brings us to a wrap for this episode on neuroplasticity and its impact on your trauma healing journey. What did you think? What new insights did you have? And like I said, this is the episode to share with someone else, someone else who may have been focused on neuroplasticity and maybe cognitive enhancement as their way out of trauma. And that's just not where it's at. We've got to start with regulation and learn the principles of neuroplasticity to have it help us because that is what I shared. So let me give you a summary. I shared on the importance of understanding neuroplasticity in order to either break free from negative neuroplastic adaptations or harness its power for positive changes in the nervous system. I discussed the significance of considering how long our trauma patterns have been there so that we understand the degree of negative neuroplasticity that we are working with so that we understand the time game and we don't get discouraged, but with firmness and gentleness, are able to shift those patterns and adaptations. And with that, remember, neuroplasticity is important for us to know that it is developed out of conserving our energy. And so when we notice ourselves going into those old patterns or being stuck, not to judge ourselves, that's not going to help, but rather just to understand why, that this is just a sign of how long your body and your nervous system have been living in this way. 
I have included a number of free resources for you in the show notes. So you can access those. I mentioned the brain inflammation. So I have included a full link to the brain inflammation protocol. I've included a link to the specific magnesium that you want to take for your nervous system. If you have brain inflammation, or if you just know that your nervous system has been under a lot of stress, you want to relieve it. So that would be the magnesium calm. I have a link for that there. If you are recognizing that you still need to lay your foundation of regulation, I have a link for the foundational journey information about that. And then finally, I'm including a link to what is known as the essential sequence, because this will share with you the three states of the nervous system. I talk about those three states in this episode, but I didn't explain them. And you need to be able to recognize which state your nervous system is in, in any given moment. And that is how we start to even build regulation. So I have that link for the three states of the nervous system in the show notes. Who do you know that needs to hear this information? Share this podcast with them. This is the podcast to share with someone to give them knowledge, tools, and hope. You can literally take the link for this episode and copy and paste it into a text message to them. Or if you are on Apple or Spotify, click on the link there. It's a little box that is a box to share and it will automatically generate the link for you. And you just put in who you want to share it with. And with that, I am your host, Dr. Amy for this biology of trauma podcast. And until next episode, lots of love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey. And you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.